Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about success in intervention. But before we jump into that content, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. That's right. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are benefiting from the things you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, PeaceWorks University, it's your best next step. It is full of resources that I know you're going to benefit from, a vibrant community of wonderful people who are all committed uh, to seeing violence reduced in the Christian home. Uh, And we would invite you to be part of PeaceWorks University. To learn more about PeaceWorks U, head on over to our website, chrismoles.org. So today's episode, we're going to combine a couple questions here I have from my list about success. First question reads like this, realizing that there's no, quote, silver bullet or one-size-fits-all approach to intervention, could you share in general some intervention success stories? What encouraging evidence of real change in individuals, marriages, or churches have you seen? What does it look like when an intervention is done well? And then there's a second question I'm going to throw in there with it, and it just says, what kind of success rates have you experienced with men who've gone through men of peace in terms of transformed hearts, significant life changes? So the the two questions are similar. I I want to start with the second and then kind of work into the first because I think the first gives us a little bit more to work with. Uh, In regards to men of peace, success rates on any type of intervention are difficult. In fact, I would challenge you if you are kind of nerd on this stuff, you can go and look at all the research that's attempted to be done on the topic. And there's a lot of debate and concern about whether or not people can change, what's the best way of helping individuals change, um, is there a certain methodology or co- combination of methods that are most effective? And it's interesting reads. And I think what you'll find is that there is, as the first question says, no one size fits all, no silver bullet. Men of Peace is the same. When we open Men of Peace to being a course, you know, prior to that, we were doing groups. And the groups actually had um, a much higher quote unquote success rate. Um, and we'll talk about success in a minute, than say their secular counterparts. But we also could not meet the demand. And so we decided to turn uh, the course, the, the group, into a digital course so we could at least have the material out there so that we could give people an opportunity to interact with the material and then learn some best practices, kind of um, throwing it out there as an, a laboratory to see who could come up with, you know, some some better ways than what we were doing. And we've learned a tremendous amount, and it has informed a lot of our coming year at PeaceWorks. But I, I say all that to say there's really no uh, effective way, no way of measuring what transform transformation even looks like for individuals. And so we, years and years ago, really made the decision not to define our success by marriage reconciliation at the first, because um, we have seen 
Some marriages restored because there's been dramatic heart transformation. We've seen others restored because there's been some behavior modification that has been, for lack of a better word, tolerable or acceptable. Um, And we've seen some marriage reconciliation happen by attrition uh, where, you know, individuals just kind of exist. And we didn't want to say, well, yeah, the success is marriage reconciliation when, you know, two thirds of what I just mentioned are not, you know, the ultimate desirable end. So we did the same thing with heart transformation. How do you measure that? Um, It has to be done over time. And certainly it's very subjective in a way. And so we really measure success by faithfulness, by reaching points of conclusion, by decisions. And so we really want to make sure individuals are held accountable they're given an opportunity to make decisions, decisions that lead them towards repentance, that evidence that type of repentance. Um, and the only thing we can really measure is whether or not we're faithful at that. Uh, so, you know, maybe someday we'll be able to put together some kind of measurement that would say, here's the number of guys who maybe had some kind of intellectual assent theologically, some kind of theological assent. Here's the the guys that, you know, we did some self-reporting maybe after 18 months, their behavior was measured this way by their partner. And after 24, it was measured this way. Uh, but as of right now, that's a that's a really heavy load that we're unable to do um, at Men of Peace. But I think it does go back then to the first, which is really what we do have are stories, you know, accounts. And, you know, you you can't share specifics. You don't really want to share too many specifics um, of intervention. But the questioner asks, what encouraging evidence to real change in individuals, marriages, and churches have you seen? Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple. Um, you know, uh, one that has been somewhat common that we've seen over the years. Um, that's not, it's not like a, um, you're certainly not going to make it a, a Hallmark movie, but you're also not going to make it a lifetime movie. I mean, I guess if you're, if you're judging success by that, uh, that's pretty good rubric. We didn't make a Hallmark movie, but we didn't make a lifetime movie. That's good. Um, our individuals, especially men, and this, this is sad, but it's also at the same time um, something to celebrate. Men who started the process too late, who you know, came into the process somewhat open to change, somewhat hopeful to restore their relationships. But uh, one of the consequences of their behavior was that their relationships were lost. Um, and we have seen some men walk through that hard road of divorce and destruction, but do it in a way that they began to own their responsibility. Um, and how their choices led to that. And we've seen several individuals repent um, in the face of ultimate consequences and great consequences. And some would say, well, you know, that doesn't sound like a success. You know, he lost his marriage. True, but he found the gospel, you know, at a, at a great cost. But the gospel was effective and change happened. And some, you know, again, some might say, well, how do you know it's real? We, we, we don't, we can't measure an individual's heart. Uh, It's very different. I will say it's very different when a guy, you know, acknowledges the harm that they've caused eventually after perhaps weeks of 
you know, being somewhat wishy-washy or, or unsure or minimizing to finally come to those conclusions is, you know, my relationship is over and I'm the one who ended it. Like my behavior led to this and I want to pursue Jesus and transformation, um, knowing that I may never get my family back. Like there is something to that. That's sad, but at the same time, redemptive as you think, you know, there are consequences to sin. I think that's why Paul says God will not be mocked in Galatians six confrontational ministry, uh, while seeking to restore individuals gently does not remove the consequences of their behavior. So, you know, that's something that is encouraging while at the same time sad. I, I would say a very similar um, account regarding churches to answer the questioner's, you know, concerns is we have seen some churches who've got it right only after they got it wrong. And that's sad. But at the same time, uh, it's also something to celebrate because we know that future victims will have a better chance of being heard, of being served, uh, because you know the church recognized their mistakes, repented, and changed. And I think all of us can at least get on board having seen so many churches or institutions or ministries um, mitigate the damage of abuse, cover up, you know, or minimize. Uh, in order to preserve some kind of safety or to negotiate the liability. Um, While we are saddened by their past failures, we can rejoice that their change is now being made moving forward. Um, So that's, that's one aspect of it. I think uh, second to that is we have seen, we have seen marriages become safe again. And this is something that, I'll, and I'll throw it out here, this is something that uh, in some circles I get a lot of heat for, and I understand. I tell folks all the time that we want sanctification, but we'll settle for safety. It doesn't mean that my desire is for behavior change to simply happen so that victims are safe. But there, there is something significant about a family, a victim, women and children who come back to you and say, you know, um, we're, we're not serving the Lord as a family. My husband doesn't really seem to be interested in the gospel. He still struggles with aspects of pride, but we're not in danger. And, you know, it, to some degree, we have to celebrate that, that there was enough conviction and wherewithal and self-awareness to say, I love my family. I want to be present in my family's life. I have to stop this series of behaviors, this pattern of behaviors in order to make sure that they're safe. Is it exactly what we wanted? No. Um, is it sad? Sure, in a way, but it's also better than, than what was. And is that a success? Well, I mean, in some regards it is. Um, that an individual is safe and that they're reporting that they're safe and that life is really good with the exception of we wish there was real dynamic heart change that led to, um, you know, serving the Lord together. Uh, And we would prefer that too. That's why we say we want sanctification, but sometimes we'll settle for safety. And then, I mean, obviously there are those cases and people keep, you know, people will say they're rare and they are to a degree. I would 
I would caveat that a bit to say, you know, a lot of times by the, by the time an abuse case gets to us, um, oftentimes it's pretty bad. And even imagining coming down the ladder from the, the way in which it's escalated is difficult. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. In fact, we could share encouraging stories of relationships that have been restored in the gospel, families who are now centered and serving together, who are worshiping the Lord together, who are even starting ministries together to serve uh, other folks in the church. Um, I mean, those are our exciting stories, and those are things that we've seen. In the context of local church, we've seen churches do uh, complete 180s from really harboring and hiding abuse to being deliberate and uncovering and addressing abuse. It's it's a funny um, side story here, and this is something I'm not trying to throw rocks. It's just I've always found it a bit peculiar and frustrating is sometimes in the past I'll be and even the present, but sometimes I'll be invited to come speak to uh, an institution or come do some training at a church, and they'll have me come in for a weekend or three days or whatever it is, and we're doing some real intense stuff. And they'll publicize part of it. So what? it's not uncommon, and this is not, if, if anybody's listening and you're like, well, it sounds like my church, this is not one, this is a lot of, a lot of times this has happened. So I'm not talking about your church. I'm just talking about, in general, the work that we do. A lot of times I'll be invited in, and a great way to help fund the event and then also support victims is to do kind of an awareness event. So maybe maybe I'll be speaking to um, a public event, like there'll be an open event in an evening. Uh, but then part of part of that weekend is then me spending time with the leadership of the church, the elders, the uh, small group leaders, the leadership team, depending on the size of the church, and we'll do real intense work. And inevitably, um, I'll get a series of emails or an email afterwards about disappointment that I went to that church because that church has handled cases poorly in the past. And I get a little frustrated, a little tickled. That's exactly why they called me, right? And I hope that we can help point churches in different directions. And sometimes, sometimes changes happen, sometimes they don't. But I'm thrilled to go anywhere and and teach the things that we're teaching. And that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, conversation that happens. Um, that's exactly why I went was because there had been some problems in the past and we wanted to help. So have I seen churches change? Yeah. Um, I've seen some churches, you know, double down. I've seen some churches make some superficial changes. Uh, but I've also seen a lot of churches and sincere people. That's the thing. Uh, I see a lot more sincere pastors trying to help than the, than the converse, than sinister pastors trying to hide. And, um, yeah, uh, it, that has been something that we have witnessed. Churches that develop policy and procedure, churches that develop teams that address the sin of domestic abuse um, 
a lot better than they did before. And then the, the last part of the question here, what does it look like for an intervention to be done well? Well, you know, off the top of my head, I think it's, uh, it's patient, for one. Uh, I think it's well-led. So one of the things I, I love about interventions that are done well is when pastoral leaderships, you know, appoints someone or puts together a team that's going to lead the process. I think some of the poorer or more poor interventions I have seen is when it's simply uh, a case that's adjudicated by a presbytery or a uh, elder board. I prefer to have a team of individuals who's intervening on behalf of a victim and uh, with a perpetrator. And so to me, interventions are done best when they are uh, led by a team of people that may include an advocate who's representing the victim, um, somebody who's leading the accountability education charge. I like that to be a pastor if possible, if he's trained, um, something like what I do. I love it when counselors are involved uh, as well as um, somebody who's doing the intervention. But usually interventions go well when they're well-led. Second, when they're patient, they don't rush for a conclusion. They're learners. Um, and then third, when they maintain their goal. And so it's easy in a, because you're being patient, because it's a time-consuming work, sometimes the easier road is to take the exit ramp when it first appears um, just to get off the ride, right? Man, this is too much work. This is really hard. Let's get off here um, and kind of land the plane on this when we haven't seen repentance, when we haven't seen change. And so I think when we keep the goal, the goal, and the goal of an intervention is to see an end to the abuse. And the best way to see an end to the abuse is to call the abusive individual to repentance and change. And uh, that's when they're done well. When they're done poorly, I think, is when we rush a conclusion when we accept words over actions, well, he says he's repentant. Um, well, you know, Second Corinthians seven gives us a list of things that we're supposed to look for: the the godly sorrow, right? Things about repentance: what earnestness, what zeal, etc. Uh, Ephesians chapter four reminds us that a liar is no longer a liar when he's a truther; that a thief's no longer a thief when he's known as a generous person. So, are we putting in the time and the energy to observe the changes? Uh, and that's when an intervention, I think, is at its best. Uh, maybe in the future, we could do an entire um, series of podcasts or conversations about interventions. I think that would be fun. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll leave it at that, and we'll um, we'll you know just continue the conversation in the future. We appreciate you guys for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast, for listening in week after week. If you would do us a favor, head over to uh, whatever platform you're listening on. And let them know you appreciate us. Rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform asks you to do. We would really appreciate it. Thank you guys for again, again being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Till next time, God bless.